The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 59 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. I love learning about my guests hearing their stories as they relate to their cancer story, and seeing how that experience has led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Andrea Campbell. She's walked an interesting and winding path to get to where she is today. Have you ever been asked to share a fun fact people may not know about you? Well, for Andrea, one of those fun facts that she shares is that as a high school student, she was one of three American athletes, actually the only high school athlete of the three selected to go to Russia and represent the United States in a peace race. She holds multiple degrees in chemical and environmental engineering, as well as an MBA, and she's a certified professional coach. She's also heard the words, you have cancer, not once, but twice. I'm excited to have her share her story today. Welcome, Andrea. I am so happy to have you here today to share your stories. You actually have have a couple of stories. So I'm really, really excited to have you share about that and and for us to have a chat today. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here with you today. You are just so sparkly and like just looking at you always makes me happy. So I just Thank wanted you. to say I that. The compliment. <laughs> I just you. wanted to say that. Um so I would love for you to just jump in and share your breast cancer journey, um, how you came to have that diagnosis, like all all the things. All righty. Yeah. yeah. Thank Yeah, I appreciate this format and I appreciate you doing this because I think it's important for people to understand that everybody's journey is different. And for me, mine started when I was 30. Now it wasn't me, but it was my sister who was diagnosed with cancer. We never knew where it originated, but by the time we found out, it had attacked all her organs. And so um, being that we didn't know, my GYN was very much aware of the fact that it could have been something that was genetic. And so she wanted me to start breast testing, uh, mammograms, et cetera, at an early age. So when I was 30, that was the first time I got a mammogram and I would get them every year. And my breast um, were dense, like a lot of people, especially people who don't have children. And so she was concerned about that. So sometimes I would have to have ultrasounds done on my breast to make sure there was nothing. So fast forward nine years, I was having some pain. At that time, my GYN had retired, even though she was only in her 40s, but she had breast cancer and she realized that there was more to life than um doing medicine and she wanted to spend more time with her young kids. So I had to find another physician and I had no place to go. I didn't know any other person because I had her since I was in college. So we had developed a nice bond, but she left and left names. That's all I had. So I called her office to ask who would be a great person to be referred to. And someone mentioned a midwife. And I was like, oh, I could go to a midwife. Like, all righty. And, and I did that. And she was lovely. You know, it's a whole different personality when you're dealing with someone who's a midwife. And she was the one who actually found 
a lump and she wanted me to get it checked out. And I had told her I had pains. I had some shooting pains that I felt, but I didn't know what they were. And so once she said that, I said, well, let me go ahead and get it an exam, an exam. So I ended up with the biopsy. But at that point, I had already determined what the pain was because I went on the internet and Google. And so oh, when I found out what it was, I didn't Google. have any concern. Pardon me? The infamous Google. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so I didn't have any concerns when I went for my biopsy. And I remember my best friend asking me if she wanted, if I wanted her to go with me. And I said, no, I'm good. You know, this is what it is. And so I went in there. I did the biopsy. It was very painful. And when I finished, a nurse came over to me and said, you know, we don't know if this is cancer, but if it is, you're going to be okay. And she was rubbing my hands and rubbing my back. And I'm like, well, this is kind of different. <laughs> like I've never had this kind of affection when I went for an exam. And I sat there for a moment because that was the first time I even thought that maybe this is cancer. And I remember leaving and I was crying <laughs> because I was like, what just happened? Like, I know what the internet said and it did not say breast cancer. So I went home and I didn't tell anyone. No one knew but my best friend that I had gone for the biopsy because I figured there was no need to concern anyone with something that was nothing, right? At least that's what I thought. A couple of days later, I was visiting a friend of mine who had almost died the night before. She was in the hospital and she had complications from a previous surgery. And my phone rang and I'm here in Cleveland, Ohio. So I, I, I go to the Cleveland Clinic and anyone from this area knows that the exchanges for the Cleveland Clinic is 444 or 445. So when I looked at my at my phone, I knew it was the hospital calling, someone from the hospital. And I answered the phone and it was my doctor. And she told me that I had breast cancer. And when she said that, my heart sank. I couldn't even believe, I, I couldn't even register what she was saying because I just was not prepared for those words. And she had told me that the reason she said that it could be cancer when I had the biopsy is because she didn't want the first time that I hear it to be when I'm by myself and her calling over the phone. And so I left the hospital and called my best friend, let her know. Um, and well, I should go back because something amazing happened when I was in the hospital with my friend. As I said, she had almost died the night before. So she was laying in the bed and had the EKG patches on her. And when I received the call, I started crying and I was crying, you know, a lot. And she kept asking me what's going on. And I just could not even form the words. And so eventually I was able to mumble, I have cancer. And when I said that, she looked at me like, what are you talking about? So she takes off her EKG patches and comes over to me. Now, mind you, she almost had died. And, and I'm not exaggerating. So she comes over and she's rubbing my back and was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And all of a sudden, nurses are running into the room. Right, because they she thought took she off her patches. <laughs> yes, because the patches were off and they thought she was dead. So they're running in the room trying to uh, figure out what's going on. And she tells them that I just found out I had cancer. And one of the nurses, she really was an angel disguised as a nurse, but she came over to me and said, I know that hearing the words that you have cancer are difficult. But now it just means you have a responsibility of being a survivor. And when she said that to me, it changed 
everything. I wiped my tears and I was like, you're right. I have a responsibility. I can survive this. Because one thing about cancer, when you hear those words, those are the most feared words in seven different languages. Nobody wants to hear that. But the first thing you do is think of death. And this lady allowed me to think about life. Like, I can get through this. And I am so appreciative to her. I don't know her name. I don't know anything about her. But she truly, truly was an angel for me at that time. And so that was the beginning of my journey. And I can say this, that I was diagnosed on the day, the birthday of my sister who passed away from cancer. And we were about, I was one year younger. She died when she was 40. And at this point, I was 39. And so, of course, I was thinking to myself, like, this cannot be my story. And I, you know, made up in my mind, like, I'm going to fight this thing as much as I can. And my sister was a fighter. Like, I truly believe she was going to make it through because she believed it. And, um, and, and that is where my story started. And so I, I, you know, it, it definitely changed my life, right? I have a huge family. And I remember the first couple of days having to call people or people calling me to talk about it. And I'm like, this is just too much. And I decided that I would use the opportunity to educate people on breast cancer because I didn't know breast cancer. Prior to this, I had only known a couple of people who had cancer. My sister that I that I talked about that passed on, my grandmother had breast cancer when she was 83. So, you know, they say if you live long enough, you're going to get cancer at some point. And so hers was, you know, just what it was, what it was. And then I had um, an aunt who had leukemia. So I only knew a handful of people at that time who had battled cancer. And my aunt didn't pass. My grandmother lived to 103 and my sister passed. So I was like, okay, you know, there's a chance for me, right? But I used the opportunity in my journey to help educate other people. So I started a blog. I would blog everything that I was going through on any given day because I wanted other people to know everything that you experience when you're going through cancer. Because a lot of people don't know. They don't know everything, all the hard decisions you have to make for yourself. You know, your physicians, they can advise you, but it still is up to you. And they're tough decisions. For me, I was 39. I was single. I didn't have children. And so when I heard cancer, I was thinking like a lot of my dreams that I had for myself will be gone. And one of them, you know, was having children of my own because I was going to do chemo. And I knew that once you do chemo, it just affects everything. And so it was, it was, it was a tough journey, but it was one that I definitely appreciate. I wrote a book about this and I wrote a book about all the, um, the blogs that I had written because I first did the blogs to educate and inform people as to where I was. But in the end, I noticed that I was transforming and I was transforming into a person, a better Andrea. Right. And and people could see that transformation in my story. And so I used it to inspire people, to encourage people through whatever trials that they went through. But um, I also use that as a platform for my book. And I share that because one of the things that um, because I have to use my book to reference things because it's been a while. But it's one of the things that got me through was a card that someone sent me. 
And it happened to be a card that I actually had sent someone else. And so it was given back to me. I had a friend who had a daughter that was one years old, one year old, and she had to have a heart surgery. And I didn't know how, what to say to the parents. And so I went to try to find the perfect card and I did. And, um, and so when I read the card, I was like, oh my gosh, this is for me too. And then lo and behold, someone sent it to me as well. And I just want to share uh, one thing about one stanza from the card because it really resonated with me. And I still um, refer to it in my life now because it says, and I'm a spiritual person. So it says, with God, every day is a day to begin again, to trust and feel his love for us and know that in all the confusion, there's a gift to be found. And I took that to heart. I knew that in all this mess that I was dealing with, there was a gift on the other side of this. And all I kept doing is trying to get to the other side so that I could receive the blessing that I was supposed to get. And I can tell you that the journey going through cancer was not easy. Anyone who's gone through it, I'm sure you had someone who said, oh, I know such and such that went through cancer and they died. And it's like, that is not what you want to hear no. when you're going through cancer. You want <laughs> to know the people who live, right? Like that is not the, the, the story you want to hear. But it's, it's very difficult, the decisions you have to make. And I was fortunate to have a support system and a strong support system. And I know that some people don't have that. We have a beautiful center here in Cleveland that helps people who are affected by cancer. So whether they go through cancer themselves or it's the family or friends. And I will go to different support groups. And I found that there were a lot of people going through this with no hope. There were some people who had spouses that they never told, you know, children that they didn't tell. They were just going through it by themselves because I guess it's a shame for some people. And especially if you're an older person, And I remember thinking to myself, like, I cannot understand how they're doing this. Because for me, I needed the world to know. One, because I needed the world to be praying. (laughs) But also just because of of awareness. Because there are so many people who are touched by cancer. And I wasn't out there by myself. I can tell you that when I went through this journey, even through chemo with no hair, no one really knew what I was going through. Because I still look the same as I did now. The only difference is that I had cute scars on my head, right? And I had scars that matched every outfit that I had. So people thought it was a fashion statement, not knowing that I just didn't have hair. (laughs) That's the same for you. (laughs) And I have now people can't see us because we don't have the video here, but you have your hair really short and my hair is really long and it was long and curly when I, before I was diagnosed. So one of the first things my oncologist said was, you're going to lose your hair. And yeah. I was like, that's okay. As long as I'm still here, like, uh, it'll grow back. Right. But I wore hats and my mom had like gone crazy with hats. So I had hats that matched every outfit. And okay. someone said to me, as was probably months after my chemo ended and my hair was just starting to grow back, but I was still wearing the hats. She was like, I just found out you had cancer. I just thought you like cute hats. <laughs> Right. I was like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I tell you, it it is something. The journey is something. I always, I had short hair prior to cancer. So once I lost my hair, I wasn't that attached to it, I guess I should say. I didn't want to be bald. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. (laughs) 
Because one, it was painful losing the hair and it was cold not having hair on top of your head. Right. So it was definitely, yes, yes, yes. It was definitely different than anything I could have imagined. But I knew that um, my journey was not just for me, but it was one of those things that, you know, I, I had success. I'm an engineer by trade. I have my master's in engineering and my MBA. And I was working in corporate America having a wonderful career, you know, great benefits, great salary, um, a wonderful friendship with people in my in my um, work environment. And it was at that moment when I was going through this cancer that I looked at my life, as we all do, right? And you realize what matters and what doesn't matter. And I can tell you that I, the first thing I looked at was my baby grand piano. <laughs> because as a kid, I wanted to have a baby grand piano. And so that was one of the things that I said, I will get. And when I finally got it, I was just like super excited. And the day I found out I had cancer, I looked at it and I said, this thing means nothing if I'm no longer here. And I realized throughout the journey of going through cancer that it's not about success. It doesn't matter how much success you have. It really is about significance and knowing that your life matters to more than just you, but to other people as well. And so I knew that this was an opportunity to help other people in their own journeys. And so I go back to the lady who said that you have a responsibility. And I didn't understand what that meant when she said it. She said, you have a responsibility as a survivor to be a survivor. But I know that it's not just about being a survivor, but everything that comes along with it. I knew that my story, because stories have superpower, right? Your story has has superpowers. Your story, my story, it matters. And I knew that my story could help someone else in their own journey. And so that's really how I, uh, why I started blogging because anybody could join the blogs and, you know, and get whatever they need because they didn't have to be going through cancer to be encouraged and inspired and have hope. But um, they, you know, I could use my life as a testimony. And I, as I said, I am a person who believes in God and I follow Jesus Christ. And I, there was a, um, a scripture that said where, Jesus said to Peter, it's in the book of Luke, he said, the devil wishes to have his way with you. But he said, but I prayed for you, which is beautiful in itself. But he said, I pray that as you go through what you go through, that you don't lose your strength. And when you get through it, that you go back and strengthen your brothers and sisters. And so I knew that my journey wasn't just for me, but that I needed it to go back to strengthen other people. And that's really what I did. I became this person that just, was all about talking about breast cancer. And then one day you get to a point that you realize like you're more than breast cancer, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so I went through this whole thing, not thinking it wasn't for me because I knew it was for me, but I also thought it was probably more so for other people to see how to go through adversity with grace. And that is until I was diagnosed with cancer again. Yes. So I was diagnosed with the unrelated, as they say, cancer a year and a half later after I finally finished the journey of the first cancer. And um, this cancer was different (laughs) because now it's no longer breast cancer. When you have breast cancer, I didn't have big boobs before. So I didn't care if I lost my boobs. I didn't care about any of that. But what this is like, 
you do what you have to do. Just give me life, right? Just let me have life. But the second time I was diagnosed with uterine cancer. So that changed things because I talked about how my dreams were um, definitely, I won't say they were gone with the first cancer because I had gone through some different things to ensure that I could have children and my own children. But now that I'm dealing with uterine cancer, that's an entire different thing because now you're dealing with something inside an organ. It's not just tissue, you know, but it's, it's something major. And I had to have, you know, a total hysterectomy with that. So now my dreams of having a kid, at least me carrying one, are totally gone. But even beyond that one, the kind of cancer that I had was very rare. One in 300 people a year gets it. And um, so that made me look at life a little differently, for real. Because now I'm like, okay, it's not about other people. (laughs) This story, this lesson is for me. And I needed to figure out what I need to do differently. I I felt that I was a a pretty good person. I loved the person that I was before. I was kind. I was, you know, everything that I was supposed to be responsible. I, I loved, you know, I was a light to people, but I knew that there was a bigger space for me to, to play in and to be in and actually to be, to live on purpose, you know? And that was one of the things that I, I really sat down and tried to figure out what is my purpose? Like, why am I here? Because I was going through life, life is busy. You know, you go to work, you come home, you cook dinner, go to sleep, wake up, brush your teeth, take a shower, go to work. It was a routine and it was a busy routine. And I realized in that moment that I needed to slow down and figure out what it is that I'm supposed to do. What am I created to do and who am I created to be? And that's really when I decided that uh, one corporate America was not for me. I, corporate America, if you work there, great. <laughs> You know, it's a great place. You get benefits, you know, and um, for me to walk away from benefits was definitely a challenge. And but it was one that I trusted God in because I knew that he was leading me to do something better and something bigger. And so I chose to step out and do my own thing. I'm a speaker. I'm a transformational coach to help people live their best lives on purpose. You know, a lot of times we don't even have visions for what it is that we want because we don't sit to do self-reflections or even dream, you know, because the reality is that we can have whatever it is that we desire if we put the focus and attention on that thing and then put it in action, right? We have to get into action as well. But I I help people with coaching. I also, as I said, I wrote um, two books. My first book is called The Beautiful Journey, and that's the book about my cancer experience. The beautiful journey, finding purpose through cancer, because I truly did find my purpose. And people ask me, so what is your purpose? If someone, um, just to give a quick answer, I would say it's to open hearts, to blossom compassion, and to help people live on purpose. And when I say on purpose, meaning intentionally. I love that. I, You kind of hit the nail on the head earlier as well with, we're very busy being busy. Mm-hmm. So what you do is help people slow down to be able to see the things that that are really maybe their passions. And that is beautiful. It was Socrates who said that an unexamined life is a life not worth living. And a lot of times we don't look at our lives and examine where we are. and, uh, And we really just have to take the time. And so I give people the space to be able to do that and to be able to dream again, 
Because a lot of times we stop dreaming once we're kids. And whoever said adulting was fun, <laughs> they were not being truthful. Like you, 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 your whole childhood, you're waiting to be an adult. And then you get here and you realize like, this is so overrated. <laughs> yes, it is. So we're going to take a quick break and I will be back with Andrea in just a few minutes. So stay with us. I hope you're enjoying Unspoken Cancer Truths. I help people to get moving again, and sometimes you just need to switch up the approach or find a new challenge, especially when thinking about starting back after treatment or an illness. One of my goals is to help you flip the idea of exercise as something that's hard, awful, or daunting, and make it something fun, maybe even a little social, safely, of course. The important thing is that you want to get started and you're happy to show up for yourself and then you want to stay in the game because it feels good to move and you had fun doing it. Ready to reimagine exercise? You can email me at jennifer at fitnessdesignsolutions.com or schedule a coffee chat with me through the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm here with Andrea Campbell, and we have just been having such a great conversation. So one of the things that I will often quote um, is a line from a movie, The Shawshank Redemption, when Andy says to Red, you either get busy living or you get busy dying, as he was off to get busy living. Mm -hmm. And living out the dreams that he had for himself. And you and I were talking during our break about really tapping into our potential and our purpose. And I can't say that almost every person that I meet that has been on this cancer journey now has some new perspective on themselves and who they are. And you know, how we, how we show up and, and the perspective, um, that we come from. And that is very present, I think, for survivors who are kind of making that transition. I find it's very challenging for us to make that transition from treatment to that successful survivorship. I loved what you're what the nurse said to you about the responsibility of being a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think there's a different energy to kind of having that mantle as a responsibility yeah, as opposed to a burden. There's just right. a, such a different energy to that. So I think yeah, that it, it's reflective in your work. Yeah. And I think that when you face any adversity, things aren't happening to you before you. And when you look at it that way, then you recognize that there is something I'm supposed to learn from this. And I think about where we are now with this global epidemic. Like this pandemic gave us the opportunity last March for us to pause. It was a gracious pause for many of us. And if people go through this and not change, then shame on them. Because anytime we face something, we're supposed to become different. We're supposed to become better. And I, I, you know, so I don't look for the normal anymore because the normal that we knew is gone. 
And I don't think there's going to be a normal <laughs> anyway. I think what's going to happen is that people, I mean, this, this pandemic allowed people to become more creative. Um, people started painting and people became more active, started exercising. People started spending time with their families again. Like everything we go through, any adversity is to make us better. And I hope that people get that from this global epidemic, because I don't think or I hope that you don't have to go through cancer to learn that lesson. Right. And, you know, and that's one of the things when I talked about that quote, that there in all of this confusion, there is a gift to be found. And I just hope people really look at that. And when you talk about dreams, uh, there is a quotation that I love. I don't know who said it, but I heard it one day when I was in class. And I'll say this, when I went through my first cancer journey, I worked in the medical field as an engineer. So I was in hospitals a lot. So I, when I was going through chemo, I didn't work. Um, and so I sat at home and I did a lot of Netflixing. And this was when Netflix was still on a CD. It was just starting out. And I watched everything. I love Nip Tuck. That was a great series. But I had watched, watched so much. But by the time I went through the second one, I'm like, okay, I can't sit on my couch again. So I decided to do some professional development at my alma mater. And I took a, a, a course. And so there was a lady who said this quotation and, um, I don't know who she is anymore, but she didn't reference who said it. And it says, I always knew I knew I'd be somebody. Now I know I should have been more specific. And when I heard that, I realized I am somebody. But am I that somebody that I wanted to be? I mean, I had a lot of dreams as a kid. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a pediatrician. I wanted to be a pianist. I wanted to be a ballerina, you know? But then I grew taller. I was too tall for ballerina. Didn't have a piano to practice on. You know, I decided to go into engineering because someone said you're good in math and science. And so I left the kids and decided I wouldn't care for them. <laughs> you know, so life changes. But I realized that this gave me an opportunity going through cancer and looking at myself and my life. It gave me an opportunity to go back and do the things that I wanted to do. And so with that being said, I've been doing things. And living my best life, you know, living out my dreams. One of my dreams was to meet Oprah. I love Oprah. I've been loving Oprah since she was on TV way back. And I was able to do that. Um, I loved President Obama, being that I'm a Black girl here in America. You know, it was wonderful to see him. And I had an opportunity to meet him. And so it was different things that didn't happen. I made them happen. You know, they started in my mind first. I always tell people. Everything that happens, happens twice. It's first in your mind, and then it happens in in reality. Just like this desk and this computer. The thought started first before it became a thing. And so I always let people know that. But when I think about dreams, I can't help but to think about, there was a, a pastor whose name was Dr. Miles Monroe. He's now deceased. He, he died in an airplane accident. But he um, he said that the richest place in the world is not where you think it would be. He said it's in the cemetery because there lies a whole lot of unfulfilled or unrealized dreams and unfulfilled potential. And when when I hear that, it really just makes me think about how many people die without doing anything that they wanted to do, with their dreams still inside of them, with their gifts still inside of them. And I knew that that's not how I wanted to end here on earth. Like when my 
soul is gone. I want to give everything that I have. I want to leave here on empty. And so I'm more intentional about living a life that I truly love. And so I always say that I live out loud. I remember there was a, an episode of Super Soul Sunday, speaking of Oprah, because I love her. So I'm going back to her. But she had Mark Nebo on there, who is, he was a cancer survivor too. And she asked him after the show, you know, at the end of the show, she said, what is the purpose of the human experience? And his response, it really just blew me away. He said, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly, but he said that the purpose of the human experience is for the soul to blossom in human form here on earth. Rather than finding heaven on earth, we are to release heaven on earth. And that was an aha moment for me. And the reason is because we are the light in this world. We are to release love. We are to be the heaven for each other. And so I am just, you know, even though cancer sucks, there was nothing really great about the experience except the transformation and the lessons that I learned, right? And so even through all of that, I am just grateful that I can be a light to someone else, that I can share my journey and that I can even say that my journey was a beautiful journey. You know, people look at me like, you call your journey through cancer beautiful? And it was because I felt the transformation. I saw it happening. And the person that I was before, even though I loved her and I respected her, she had to die. And the person who I am now, I love even more, I admire, and I'm just grateful. And so this is such a better way for me to live than I was before. And one of the things, you know, I talked about how I worked for corporate America and I decided to leave to go into speaking and coaching and also writing books. Um, but one of the projects that I'm working now is about caring because I think we're in yes. a crisis. We're in a caring crisis. People just we don't are. care enough. And we see it, you know, everything that's going on with the racial injustice here in, in our country, the civil unrest, the insurrection that we saw at the Capitol a couple of months ago. People just don't care for one another. And we have to get back to seeing the humanity in each and every one of us. Yes. And so that is something that I'm working on. My main focus is with healthcare systems because that is where I spent the majority of my career. And I always say like nurses, most nurses, you know, they go into this, they have the compassion, the empathy, but then you have some physicians who may go into this for different reasons than they should, you know, maybe their family pressured them into it. Maybe they went into it for the money, you know, but getting back to the why, why you are here and what you're supposed to do and having the compassion and empathy and caring for one another, that's where we need to get to. And so I'm going to start a movement where well, I'm starting a movement. I guess I should say I'm not going to. I am starting a movement to help people care more about one another. I think it's challenging, too, in the especially in the healthcare field um, where people go in and they have so much compassion. And then now we're starting to see people suffering from compassion fatigue. Right. And, it's just a, no, yeah. and then what's happening with that is it's causing people to then exit or just or yeah start to lose lose touch with the compassion that they have cuz they're so overwhelmed yeah by the challenges and 
So it's like two ends of the spectrum, right? We have people who are having difficulty seeing people Mm -hmm. as people. Um, One of the things that's been going on in the news right now, and I'm going to be really general about this, um, but I saw someone, one of the police officers, or might have even been the chief of police, um, was saying humans, like any humans, this isn't how we treat humans. And I think that's so important. I was like that right there, that might be the most important thing that he said. Like, did everyone hear that? Did everyone hear that humans are humans? Right. Because we all saw the murder. Right. Of George Floyd. And it's, you know, when and, I think about this trial of Derek Chauvin, I'm not watching it because for me, it's very difficult to watch. Um, yeah. And for I, me, I, that I, was a far, clip that I saw yeah, on the news. Because I don't understand that kind of evil. No. I don't understand it. And I don't want to have any part of it. But, you know, what the trial, I've, I've seen clips and what this trial has brought up for me is that there are more victims than George Floyd. We know, you know, we think about his kids, his family, but the people who had to witness it real time are traumatized. Yes. Like I was traumatized seeing it on TV, but to be there and to feel so hopeless and helpless, that I, that one just really hurts my heart. Um, But you're right. It's about seeing the humanity, seeing a person as a human and realizing that we're not different. The only yeah. thing that's different between us is the color of our skin. Everything yeah. else, we're the same. And that's why I try to look at people from the soul. Yes. Because I don't, I'm not going to judge you based on the color of your skin or anything else. I need to know what you look like on the in- inside. Like that's yes. what matters to me. And that's where we need to get back to. And even when, you know, when you talk about the compassion fatigue and nurses being burnt out and physicians too, it's a real thing. And that is why I'm working in that area because one, they don't have the support. They can get the yeah. support, but there's a stigma to going to see a therapist. A lot of people shy away from that because then it says something about them. So they think instead of recognizing that we all really need mental health, hope, just like we need help with everything else. But I, I really just hope that what I'm bringing will help the organiz- the healthcare professionals. Yes. And you know, even if it's just me listening. Because everything we know it starts with physicians, but it's the way they treat their patients. And you've been a patient before just as I. Like yeah. having a physician that cared that I felt cared about me made a huge difference in how I responded. And so it's important that they listen to the patient, but they can't listen when they have so many other things going on and they just have checked out, you know, because they right. really can't. They don't have the capacity to, to care about anything else at this moment. It's not that they don't want to. They just can't. Yeah. Like self-care is, is huge right now. Like they definitely have to make sure that people are doing what they need to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, you talked about trauma, like, and trauma is, is such an interesting, and sneaky in some cases, right? Like, I remember when COVID was in its kind of early days, like this time last year, I was talking with 
a colleague who is a, a therapist. She has a fairly large therapy practice in this area. And they were already online. Um, they were already doing telehealth before COVID hit. So they were really well positioned. And she said last, last year at this time, people Googling, looking for therapists or looking for mental health support had dropped. It was at like a three year low. Wow. And she said at first she was thinking, this is weird. Like, why, why are we not seeing more people coming in? Like, what is happening here? And then she started asking colleagues and then she started digging into the data. And she said, at some point, we're going to realize that we're all in a collective trauma. Yeah. And it's those kinds of, and in a lot of ways, I, I see this with, um, cancer patients and caregivers, um, a lot of caregivers that are now starting to be diagnosed with um, things like PTSD years after their loved one is is not dealing with the cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not actively dealing with it. And then they they find out that they have been suffering from a condition that they had no idea that they had. Yeah. And we're starting to see more research in that area so that more of a light can be shined to kind of give more focus and and prepare people. I think that's one of the challenging things about that gap between treatment to survivorship, right? Like doctors, like you said, they are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um I saw a study, um it was a burnout inventory um, and I'm forgetting right now which which organization had done it. it Need have been Medscape. I'm it's escaping me. <laughs> um, <Right>. It happens. <laughs> yeah, it was something like forty percent of forty percent of all doctors were like seriously burned out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very small number of people who said that they would seek support. And one of the curious numbers that I found was the number of mental health professionals who were feeling burnt out, who were saying that they wouldn't seek outside support. Yeah. I mean, because of the stigma, right? I mean, it it doesn't really make sense, but yeah. In their minds, it does. For sure. Right? Like, if I'm up here helping other people, but we all know, I mean, and I will say this as someone who's a coach. Like, I won't coach if I don't have a coach. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all still need someone right. else to help us along as we help others. So I I, I definitely understand their whole thought, but I, mm-hmm. I don't think that it's the best thing. I think everybody should probably have a mental health um, <laughs> therapist. But I will say this. I remember when the pandemic started and we had to stay inside and I looked out my window and I was thinking to myself, like the entire world <laughs> is in their homes right now. You know, of course, the essential people weren't, weren't but like, right. it just kind of blew my mind when I thought about that. But I can tell you that I also thought that my cancer experience help prepare me for that. Very that much so. experience, you know, because I've gone through this before. So 
it wasn't that difficult. Now, no one thought it was going to be over a year, right? For sure. (laughs) But I was like, okay, I have this. I've been through something like this before. So I've built up the resiliency muscle already, you know? Right. And even the But then that muscle gets tired because you're like, okay, I'm still (laughs) dealing with this. So, Yes. When I, um, in between my second and third chemo treatment, um, we had to go up. I'm outside of the DC area, but I'm from Massachusetts and my grandmother passed away, um, at a hundred and a half. And so I remember going to the services and I was the eldest grandchild on that side of the family. And I remember my mom being like, stop touching her. Why are you touching her? <laughs> Where I was just like, oh, hi. Like I would hug people. It like mm-hmm. didn't, I was like, I'm okay. Like I'm doing what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But my mom was like, she, <laughs> she wasn't you one should, to touch. You shouldn't be touching her. <laughs> yeah. She wanted me to just be like in a little bubble and not like in contact with people. And so as we came into the pandemic and with like wearing masks and it was like, oh, yeah, this feels somewhat familiar. Yeah. And I've heard that kind of universally from from people who have been through this cancer journey. So Yeah. And and I can tell you that those were my biggest concern. Well, that group of people was one of my biggest concerns when this whole thing started. You know, I've been out of treatment for, since my last cancer will be 10 years this, at the end of the year. So I've, I've been able to rebound, but I was thinking about people who were going through like that. They really had um, a huge place in my heart. And um, I even wrote a letter to cancer patients just trying to encourage people because I couldn't imagine going through that during this time when you have a compromised immune system and you're right. scared of carrying, catching the virus, you know, that could potentially kill you. So those people and the people were, who were stuck at home in abusive relationships, those were my two biggest concerns when I went through this. But the reality yeah. is that now it's everybody because we're all, we all, as you said, are traumatized from this experience. So. Yeah. It's been quite, it's been quite a, uh, quite a year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, you speak of your grandmother. I remember uh, my grandmother passed in June of last year from COVID. And oh. um, and because she had COVID, we could not touch her. Like we had to stay away because even a dead body, you know, you can still catch the virus. It was it's this whole experience has just been crazy. And I'll be glad when we come out of it so that I can sit and process it, because right now. I'm just going through the, mo- like, you know, you just go through the day to day to try to get through. But For when sure. I have a chance to breathe again and, and be able to hug my mom again and my family, you know, those types of things, I just, I'm curious to see what I get out of this whole experience. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great opportunity as, as you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. like it's a, I remember when I went through my divorce and I was quite young, I, I was just like, okay, I'm learning something. I don't know what it is right now, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but at some point I'm going to, 
I'm going to be able to look back and see what it is that I learned. And there have been so many like kind of milestones in my life that have gone that way where it looks like adversity from the outside. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. someone on the outside looking in is like, ooh, that looks kind of messy. And I'm like, I'm just, just living, just Mm -hmm. getting to the next, like, this too shall pass. Right, right. Yeah. And it it was interesting because I had um, a couple of years after my, after I was done with treatment, in one week, I had two different people like kind of question how I had gone through my cancer journey. And like one told me I wasn't sad enough. And one told me that no one would root for my story. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? I wasn't sad enough. Like, yeah, I had times, but hmm. And that just wasn't my, just wasn't my way. Like it wasn't the place that I was coming from. And I think that's an interesting, like we all come to this from different perspectives and from different places. And like having lost a family member, that has a significant like initial impact. Yeah. So it's, it's a very interesting journey. And we all have many similarities and many differences. And I think one of the similarities that I see in the people I talk with is that, that shift in purpose mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. transformation of priorities. Yeah. I, we like to travel and I have people say to me, my oncologist actually it just happens that I tend to see him after I've been traveling. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it just works out that way. And he's like, you're always traveling. Every time I see you, you've been somewhere. And I was like, well, if not now, when? Right. Right. Like, we like to travel before, but tomorrow's not promised. So why wait till we retire? Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that because... um uh, to prepare for this. Not that I don't know my story, but periodically I do like to read my book because I feel like the person I was when I wrote the book, I, I'm different. Like if I had to write the book today, it would be totally different. Sometimes I read the book and, and think like, I don't even know where these words came from. But I realized that, you know, prior to the, the time that I was diagnosed that year, I kind of list everything that I had done that year. And I was doing like some amazing things. <laughs> like I had gone to the Kentucky Derby. I had gone to London because I was supposed to go see Michael Jackson on his This Is It tour. I had opening day (laughs) speak and he died right before our our trip. So I still had to go. Uh, And so instead I went to Paris instead of, um, you know, on the day that we were supposed to go see him. But, you know, I was just thinking like I was living a pretty amazing life then. But like I said before, it was all about Andrea, you know? <laughs> and now I realize that it is not just about me. Yeah. It's about those that I can help in my, you know, in my journey as well. You know, because of my experience, it gives me an opportunity to share with other people yeah. and to be the example and to be the light. And so I try to do my best to uh, represent who I'm supposed to be at least who I feel that I'm supposed to be in my heart. And um, and that is what cancer really has done for me and has done for you. Like it's giving you 
the green light to live when we yeah. all should be living, right? Right. And I really admire people, especially younger people who gets it early, who get it early and know that yeah. there's no limitations on what you can do and what you can have. When I look at these Gen Z who don't want to work for anybody else, I'm like, this is awesome. You know what I'm saying? You know, like there's some things, you you know, you have to work for somebody. You'll be working right. for somebody, but you still may be your own entrepreneur, but it's just the fact that there are no limits that they place on themselves. Right. And a lot of us have put limits on ourselves and it takes something else, you know, something major for you to take those limits off. And I remember thinking, um, I had a mentor who was 50 years old and the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And I'm like, at 50? You know, like, that's pretty amazing to be a CEO. And I asked him how he got there. And he said, I got there by dreaming big. He said, I dream so big that I don't know how I'm going to get to what I want. Like, I can't do it without God. Like, whatever I dream, I know that God has to be in this place to make it happen because I don't know the how. And I think a lot of times we dream, we dream, but we dream small. You know what I'm saying? So I just think that we need to take the limits, the reins off and just dream as big as we can and know that nothing is impossible. Like whatever you desire, whatever you want for yourself, you can have, you can be, do or have whatever it is that you want. You just have to believe. I'm in a, a mastermind group. I love reading. And one book that I read every year is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah, and I that, that book, pardon me? I love that book. Yeah, but that book lets you know that you can have anything you want. And so I read it every year as a reminder because sometimes you can forget that this is possible. You know, you don't have to wait for someone to say it's, so, it's possible. You just have to start with it in your mind and believe it. So, yes. yeah. It was so interesting because earlier you made the comment that thoughts turn into things and you actually pointed to specific things. And so often when I hear thoughts are things like it's, it's about what we manifest in our like circumstances. And, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know what it was about the way that you said that earlier, but I was like, everything starts from our thoughts Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. turns into things. And that, that is, that is so true. And when we come at our situation from big dreams and big positive ideas about where we're going, we can just achieve so much. Yeah. So thank you for no, thank you, Jennifer. I I appreciate this space that you give us. So thank you. Well, thank you for your bright beautifulness. <laughs> so sparkly. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. So thank you. Thank you again to Andrea. One of the truths that I hear so often is the fact that survivors focus and often their vocation and purpose change as they emerge on the other side of this journey, transformed with a clear idea of how they want to show up and spend every day. I'm on a mission to interview new guests every week to bring more connection and share more stories of cancer survivors, caregivers, and support organizations. Whether you think you may want to share your story on the podcast, or if you want to share with me directly, you can connect with me in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, where you can also connect with Andrea, as well as other past guests. 
or look for the coffee chat link in the show description wherever you listen to the podcast. There you can also find links to Andrea's book, The Beautiful Journey, as well as to her website. Knowing there are others with similar experiences helps us know that we're not alone. There's a community of people with similar and diverse experiences waiting to meet you because surviving really is just the beginning. Thanks for listening and have a great week.